This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategies editor Amber Ainsley Pritchard. And you may have guessed it, her Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello, everyone. It's Amber Ainsley Pritchard, editor of Reward Strategy, and I'm back with another episode of Friends in Benefits, where we get to know the people in the people profession. For today's podcast, I'm hosting a fellow Northerner and, in a way, a fellow media professional, James Whitaker, who is head of reward at The Telegraph. Welcome, James. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How about you? Not too bad, thank you. Um, yeah, in the office today, so that's uh, a change to usual working from home, but enjoying it. Yeah, working from home has taken some getting used to. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, especially when you've got building work going on, like I know you have, James, and me also. It's uh, quite disturbing. So as I mentioned, James, you are a fellow Northerner who now lives in London like myself. Is there anything you really miss about home? Uh, it's a good question. I do hear a lot of debates about North v South that tend to centre around fish and chips. So <laughs> I haven't quite found a really good chippy in where I am in London now. So yeah, I do miss uh, some good Northern chips and uh, you know maybe even some mushy peas from time to time. Oh, I was going to say, I've actually found better fish and chips here in Hernhill. Uh, I think it's Hernhill. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, really good. So you want to go there, right opposite Brockwell Park. And for anyone listening, yeah, they have the best fish and chips. What I don't find so much is chips, cheese and gravy. Yeah, I don't go for the gravy thing. That's where I'm, maybe I'm not a proper northerner. <laughs> oh, I love it all mushed together. But I think here it's just, uh, you go somewhere fancy and it's just poutine. So it's not the same, but oh well. <laughs> so... All I seem to speak about lately is COVID. So I thought we'd have a break from that today and have a real focus on reward in general. What's important even when not faced with a global pandemic? How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. So the first question I like to ask all my guests is how you found yourself in the reward space to begin with. Yeah, and I, I always hear a lot of people talk about they they fell into payroll or they fell into HR and reward. And I suppose for me, it was a little bit like that. Um, I started off in uh, a very much a sort of pay and reward role uh, in a big insurance company back in Liverpool. But I'd worked in the customer service centre for uh, around a year. And I got the chance to get involved in a project that was looking at induction and, you know, how to onboard new people. And so, yeah, my, my first sort of exposure to HR in, in that company was really good. And a, and a role came up that was actually in training, it was actually in L&D I applied for, not really knowing what that was going to be like. And I didn't get that job. But thankfully, they said, oh, well, we have this other role in HR. It's, um, it's pay and reward. And, you know, you seem to be good at numbers. So maybe it'll be a, a, good, a good fit. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go and yeah that was a good 20 years ago which is very strange to say but yeah I I loved it from when I first moved over and yeah stayed in sort of variations let's say of of that sort of reward role for, for, for a while since. I think it's strange because a lot of people say or maybe it's not strange because a lot of people fall into the pay and reward and sort of HR space but the thing is you don't really get told about it when you're in school when you're in college and even at university I think rarely do people look at a HR degree or anything like that do they No that's the thing I'm not sure I've had any real awareness of HR existing which you know sounds really strange so I don't know 
I think as a, a, a my career's process was more, uh, you know, I wanted to be a footballer, and then if that didn't work, oh well, <laughs> I, I was good at numbers, so something would work out. But yeah, I, I think HR as a profession and its standing generally has has really really developed, and and yeah, certainly within that, uh, a payroll and and reward, especially after after the, the year we've had. Yeah, twenty twenty has been one of a kind, and one I definitely won't be forgetting. <laughs> So what does a typical day look like for you and what are you responsible for exactly at the Telegraph? So my typical day, like a lot of reward people, will will be such a, a mixture of things. And that's that's one of the things I like about my role, that there is so much going on. And, you know, I spend my fair share of time looking at big spreadsheets and numbers. But also, you know, I want to work with people and talk to people about uh, uh, reward, benefits and everything else. So... For me, you know, I love being involved in pensions, which not everyone always thinks is uh, is going to be the case. But um, you know, across pensions, benefits, payroll, um, but really sort of thinking about how all of these things that you know that that we do link into uh, engagement, and then it always sounds really cheesy, but just trying to make companies great great places to work. So I'm lucky that I have such a mixture of things to do. Um, I'm working with you know, great, great people, great HR business partners and L&D people and um, uh, people around, uh, around the organization. But yeah, it, it's the true cliche of no day is ever quite the same, uh, usually in a good way, but there's always a few, a few surprises that pop up uh, as well that keep you, uh, keep you entertained. Exactly. I couldn't um, deal without variety in my work, I don't think. So I think it's good that every day is different and you get to experience so many different elements working in reward. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you next, how does The Telegraph compare to your last role at the luxury fashion group Caring? Um, so probably more similarities than than maybe people think on on face value, and even you know going back one further job working for uh, the the RFU for England Rugby. So one of the things I do I do love about our our sort of profession is that you can move between sectors, and so <clears throat> you can deal with some of the some similar issues, but different cultures and and certainly different uh, types of roles. So going from rugby coaches to fashion designers through to uh, journalists is is really interesting and 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 the variety is great but a lot of it comes back to just trying to sort of get get used to what people want and and how they work uh and also make sure that you know you don't just try and apply exactly the same thing to, to every company um but yeah I, I think more more similarities than, than maybe people think going, going from high fashion into um into into media they're both just as demanding i'm sure <laughs> definitely (laughs) so what would you say your favorite part of reward is is it the variety or is there something else which you really love I think my my favorite part is certainly hopefully seeing that some of the things we do make a a real tangible difference to people Um, and so whether that's dealing just you know just telling people about really basic benefits and somebody that you know, absolutely loves the fact they can save money on their bike. You know, talking to people about bike schemes, uh, it's I wouldn't necessarily that say that was me getting my hands dirty and reward, but that that's as interesting to me as dealing with big bonuses and pensions, um, or you know, huge healthcare renewals. So yeah, I, I like to see that what what we do really makes an impact on people, and and even from a payroll point of view, you know, people, I, I think often under, underestimating just how complex it is to get 
you know hundreds and often thousands of people paid properly Definitely. on time every every week or every month and yeah just every now and again a, a nice thank you coming back to payroll teams it, it you know makes a really big difference so does payroll sit under reward at the telegraph or do you work alongside them how does it all fit together yeah, we, we work very closely. So that, that's something that I've picked up this year. Um, and then I'm, I'm lucky here and in, in a few other roles to have worked with some really brilliant payroll people. Um, so I wouldn't consider myself a sort of um, a core payroller by, by any means. And, and mm-hmm. my, my detailed knowledge will certainly be put to shame by a lot of people. But I think there are so many links between um, our reward benefits and, and, and finance payroll teams and obviously wider HR teams that even if you don't necessarily uh, manage those functions or even if payroll is is not part of HR, you still have to work really, really closely all, all year round, really. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. From what I hear, there's been a sort of argument in the past where payroll and HR slash reward don't really like each other or don't sit together. But I think, you know, it's definitely changed in the past few years and people are realising that they, you know, it, the pay data goes, you know, hand in hand with the reward and HR data. So it's, it's core to work together. Yeah, definitely. And I think the the second phase there is, I think, an ongoing debate around where internal comms sits and should it sit in, in communication? Should it sit, should it sit under HR? So maybe that's one for another day as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree. That's something to have a little look into. So there's lots of competition in the media world, people joining companies and deciding who to choose. What benefits do you offer to attract and retain people at the Telegraph? I suppose it's it's about the variety of things that we have. Some of them obviously aren't necessarily unique to the Telegraph and some things that you have to do like pension, but I think where you position some of these benefits. So pension is a really, really important benefit for us, whether someone is with us short term or long term. Um, and if they're contributing to get a, a good contribution back from the Telegraph, have that in a good pension scheme where um, hopefully it's going to be invested wisely and build for their retirement. But a- across you know things like healthcare, life insurance, income protection, you know really trying to look after people whilst they are with us, all of those things are really important. And then a really good variety of voluntary benefits for people to to choose from. So like I said, some people, you know, absolutely love the fact that they can um, uh, go and save some money on, on a bike. Other people will be more interested in somebody sacrifice car schemes or health checks um, and sort of everything in between. Um, and then a lot of what we do, <clears throat> and certainly in, in, in the past more so, let's say in, in-house in the offices in terms of uh, health and well-being, that's now sort of phased over to um, more of a flexible approach because you know, the, the Telegraph, like so many other companies, has people that are incredibly passionate about what, what they do and, and work incredibly hard through the year. So everything that we can do to look after people along the way, their, their well-being across the board is is absolutely vital. Definitely. And I think uh, some of the shiny benefits which people have in the offices are now sort of trying to see how they can translate those to having well-being, physical and mental elements that people can gain and access through home. So I think that's an ongoing challenge at the moment. Definitely. Free fruit and veg in the office. I haven't quite seen a perfect solution to that at at home (laughs) just yet. But yeah, we'll see. So before we get stuck into some meteor topics, we have a quick ad break. But don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Ben Miller, reporting for Award Strategy. Well, not quite reporting, more like butting in. But I couldn't help myself get into presenter mode with two media professionals on the podcast. I'm actually commercial director for the brand and just wanted to take a moment to highlight our upcoming event, the Reward and Payroll Summit. 
taking place on December the 10th and 11th from a TV studio overlooking Tower Bridge in London. We will be joined by speakers from Channel 4, Hilton Hotels, Stella McCartney, BT, the NSPCC, and many more. The question is, will you be watching? If you aren't yet, get in touch with me. Please find my details on this podcast or look me up on LinkedIn. Don't forget, you can also get in touch if you'd like to fill this ad space in future podcasts. That's all for me for now. Stay classy, people professionals. And we're back following that short but sweet little Anchorman moment. So I want to speak about women in the workplace now. There's been recent studies to show women will apply to more senior roles if they are advertised as flexible, helping to improve companies' gender pay gaps. I can see that the Telegraph offers flexible working if approved by line managers. Do you think the organisation will advertise or ever advertise all roles as flexible? I think certainly companies are heading that in that direction. And, and the idea of a role being absolutely fixed hours and having to be office based, for example, um, every day of the week is 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 rapidly going away. I'm lucky to have worked with quite a few people and, and senior people in, in companies in, in HR that have had uh, flexible hours, worked from home um, on, on multiple days a week, whether that was for purely to not be in the office and, and face a commute or, or to, mm-hmm. to, to look after children or flexibility for, for studies and things like that. So I think it's becoming actually more and more of, of an expectation and, and not even necessarily seen seen as a benefit, but Certainly at the moment, those companies that can offer flexibility and way beyond just, you know, formal policies and writing. I think having line managers that can be, you know, sympathetic to, um, you know, everybody's needs and people that just want to work differently and, and benefit from working differently. I don't necessarily get up too early in the morning and start work <laughs> at 7 a.m., um, but some people like to do that. And, and if that works for them, then, then that's brilliant. And hopefully that helps get, get the best out of them. And obviously, equal pay strategies play a big part in the gender pay gap and getting more people into different roles too. And in media outlets, they're quite well known for having larger pay gaps between reporters and journalists. And obviously, we didn't have to report gender pay gaps this year in 2020, because obviously the pandemic has taken over. But in 2018, The Telegraph reported a mean hourly pay gap of 28%. What are you guys doing to reduce this? So yeah, there's been a, a lot of work over the, the past few years, and 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 a lot of that that's preceded me in terms of uh, the pay gap. And I was also really pleased when I first started the Telegraph and looking at everything that we reported our ethnicity gap as well for the past few years, uh, which I think is just going to become uh, again a, a requirement. And so a lot of work from uh, my team and within the HR team on really looking at the details of pay and progression. And that's everything from starting salaries through to promotion and progression, how you manage uh, allowances through the year that, that pop up. Um, and of course, the the bonus gap, which actually doesn't always get talked about quite quite as much, but you know, variable pay bonuses are, are such a, a big part of what some people receive, certainly. And so, yeah, just as much work, just looking at how we uh, work commission and, and bonuses, just to make sure we're being as fair as possible. Because as much as the the, the legislation is a start, what you report from one year to the next, the, the devil really is in the detail and the work that, that goes on all year round to really understand if you have a gap, why is that the case? And yeah, linking back way beyond just the stats to the work you do in recruitment and L&D, 
so yeah, a, a lot of work at the moment and, and I'm sure a lot more in, in the future as well. Definitely. And following up on that, there's currently a bill being debated in Parliament that would grant employees the right to know what their colleagues are paid. Now, do you think this would be a good idea for the workplace? Because I'm not so sure. Yeah, that is an interesting one. I'm sort of quite in favour of people being open about what they're paid. I think transparency is a good thing. And, you know, I always think as as a manager, if if you sort of maybe don't want your your uh, team to know what you're paid you're probably overpaid or they're, they may be <laughs> underpaid so yeah I think the more people know about um, you know the different even roles that are out there in companies uh, what they're paid and why I think the better but also more transparency more visibility ideally makes people um, you know look at what they're on and if they need to ask for more and and demand more Yeah, I think it comes down to that communication element as well, though, because I think people sometimes just look at the number and they will look at someone else who they think is in a similar position and be like, well, why aren't I earning the same amount? But it's all about the experience. I mean, the years of experience, but the type of experience and so much more. So I think it's about communicating that because I'm sure employees would be uh, on HR and rewards facts if they didn't understand why someone was getting paid X, Y and Z compared to them. Definitely. There, there would be a lot of work involved in making sure people hopefully understood why there were differences between what, what people are paid. And obviously, a big, a big part of a lot of reward roles is often governance of uh, job evaluation and grading systems. And, you know, without having um, something that's too complicated, people understanding why they're a grade three or a band F or whatever it might be, what they need to do to develop to the next level up, but also then what that means for their for their pay as well which is is really important for people but um yeah it's uh it's not going to be an issue that goes away and i think inevitably we're going to get more transparent transparency whether through legislation initially or not yeah i would agree and that same bill which is calling for um transparency of pay data which has come from the mp stella creasy is also calling for i think it's smaller than two companies with over 250 employees i think it's over 100 I'll have to double check for them to report the ethnicity and pay gap data too, which obviously you guys are already doing. Is there any other sort of pay gaps you think we should be measuring? Maybe LGBTQ plus or anything in those sort of realms? I do think that sort of thing can be positive. Uh, I I obviously understand the concerns of um, some businesses and in particular smaller businesses uh, regarding the burden that might put upon them. I think it's maybe inevitable at some point in the future that there will be more of a, a requirement to submit data that allows analysis and really lets you look at uh, equal pay. Um, because, you know, uh, uh, as we all know, that the gender pay gap in the legislation isn't technically the same as um, having an equal pay problem. Um, mm. It's, let's say, very difficult, almost impossible to compare one company to the next sometimes but um but yeah i think as uh you know data and systems um becomes more sophisticated i do think we could be heading in in that direction and i think that's where things get potentially very very interesting in terms of really understanding people in equivalent roles and and the gaps that you know inevitably do exist right now yeah definitely i mean for sectors such as well airlines which hopefully you know, no more go under. But, you know, it is typical that there's more flight attendants which are female. And I don't think 
that's necessarily a problem. It's just a historical thing. And the same with the tech space. It's more male dominated at the moment. I mean, it's brilliant to try and get and more of an equal balance but that's not always the case and those people aren't always applying for those jobs which is then reflected in a larger pay gap but that's not to say that the companies aren't doing the right things in trying to recruit and retain an equal balance of genders. Uh, Absolutely and I've seen in the past even working in in higher education where jobs that in, in theory are identical from one university to the next will be paid very very differently uh some specialisms would be paid very very differently and there aren't always really good reasons for that uh, and that's where i think more scrutiny more pressure on businesses um uh is is a good thing and really being accountable for sometimes yes historic issues but uh, actually doing the right thing uh now which means making some really big changes completely agree There's another future policy I've been reading about, and it's the possibility of shared parental leave for grandparents. What do you think about this? For grandparents, yeah, it's it's quite a leaf. I I only heard something (laughs) very, very brief about that. Um, I I, I think people's circumstances are are really different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even from country to country at the moment, the the level of leave you get um, in terms of uh, uh, maternity, paternity um, uh, is very, very different. Um, I think allowing more people more leave can be a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. But obviously there's definitely a balance in terms of um, just the amount of time off that it could mean for some people. And that's even before I start to think about the inevitable form filling, uh, the, the sort of red tape that comes in. And um, yeah, I think there'll be quite a few HR people and, and, and payroll people in particular wouldn't necessarily love that to come in from a work point of view, but, you know, may, may even benefit from, for, benefit from it uh, themselves. So um, yeah, m- maybe that one's a way off for now, but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's part of where we're headed in, in terms of more mm-hmm. flexibility for people to, to take time off. Yeah. And with the price of childcare, I'd really like it if there were shared parental leave for grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> So another topic and coming up to sort of the final topic I wanted to touch upon is mental health. As a news platform, The Telegraph is, you know, obviously on top of all the latest trends and issues which are going on in the world and in the workplace. And mental health has been such a key focus over several years now. But more recently, and I think because of the pandemic, it's been highlighted even more, is a decline in male mental health. And obviously, most businesses will have a, you know, mental well-being element to their reward strategy. But I wonder if the Telegraph does anything to particularly support men. Uh, it's a really good question. Most of our activity certainly is is across the board. And there's been a really good focus uh, for a few years now, going way beyond, uh, you know, the simple we have an EAP almost idea and EAPs are great, but um, often they're not promoted or sometimes the materials on them, uh, people see them as a, as a bit of a last resort. So um, the Telegraph brought uh, mental health first aiders in uh, quite a while ago that's been uh, really successful and, and well-received. Um, but again, simply ha- having those that doesn't mean um, necessarily that it's making a difference. Often I think it's how uh, mental health and, and well-being full stop is communicated to the workforce. So understanding that, you know, it is a real issue and everybody needs to, to think about that. Uh, everybody has has mental health. Um, we're lucky in a way that our, our products, our, our writing, 
Uh, we've got some uh, really fantastic writers and people who have written extensively about mental health. And I think that helps us be able to promote that issue within, um, within the organization. At the RFU, we were really lucky to have uh, Prince Harry uh, linked to, to to England Rugby, and and obviously he had championed mental health causes and using um, you know sort of his face on comms and you know reminding people that you, you can talk about issues with your line manager, with your colleagues, and not to suffer in silence. But also you know having these sorts of things backed up by you know real benefits, people that can go and get. Uh, the right support through their healthcare or you know, get things back through health cash plans. Um, the idea of having mental health uh, absence days, I think is more, more and more of an issue. Uh, to me, that should be absolutely standard. It should be a reason to be off, whether, whether it's you, a na- named as have- something se- separate or not. Do you, do you offer that at the Telegraph? Because I've not heard of many companies offering that yet. No, I haven't heard of many offering it specifically, but but certainly it's it's one of the things that that we know uh, is a reason for absence and and is recorded from time to time, and and then people are given uh, as much support as as we can mm-hmm. in terms of um, helping them with whatever issue might be there, and and obviously supporting them back in, into the workplace. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the idea of a mental health um, a, a day, you know, is absolutely valid, whether it is called out as that or or not yeah I think it all comes back to communication again because I think mental health and the mental health strategy obviously should apply to both sexes and all genders in the workplace but I think there's still a little bit of a workplace taboo around male mental health you know when people say things like all man up and those sort of things I think there's still a cultural issue which is obviously being broken down a lot more now than it has in the past but I think it's just going to take a little bit more time for men to feel maybe more comfortable talking about their mental health and being as open as it as others or with it as others yeah I think that's definitely the case unfortunately um and that's why certainly my experiences um at England rugby which which was was absolutely male dominated we were lucky that we could try and promote some of those things across the business but yeah I, I think you know across all, all sectors and really try, trying to address mental health some companies maybe are a bit behind others in terms of really embracing that as something that they they should be absolutely should be supporting and yeah men in in particular uh are struggling to talk about how they're feeling or even even identify sometimes how they're feeling mm-hmm. um but yeah i think every everything we can do as uh reward professionals or actually some companies now having very specific uh a well-being resource is also a really good thing because it's it's that really terrible cliche of people being the, the greatest assets which I, I i hate to say um but yeah you, you have to look after your people to have a successful company um and mental health should be uh, a really critical part of that yeah of course and one thing which we spoke about at our last conference was actually that physical first aiders are a legal requirement in the workplace but mental health first aiders aren't and obviously mental health is being seen as important as physical health. But why have we not got that requirement yet? Why is there no legislation? Obviously, we're seeing more and more people be trained as mental health first aiders, but it's not a requirement yet. Do you think it should be? I actually do, yes. Um, I think we're we're lucky that there's been a lot of development in you know, formal um, you know, certified mental health courses. And, and it's really important that people, you know, going through first uh, mental health first aider training, 
do go through that thoroughly. Um, so just in the same way as, uh, you know, thinking you, you, you did a, uh, a first aid course 20 years ago, so I can cover that in my office. That's not, that's not good enough. Um, and legally isn't obviously good enough. Um, no. I think, I think it should, should be the same for mental health. Um, and there's been so much talk obviously about, uh, mental health this year for, for very obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that is in some respects that the kick that, um, uh, some, uh, people need to really think about this in a different way. And that's everything from resourcing it nationally, um, uh, properly, but also making it a, a really valid topic within, within workplaces. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think it's so important. And hopefully, like you said, this has been, or the pandemic has been the kick that everyone needs to definitely realise that it's a need to have, not a nice to have. So before we wrap up this episode, I think you touched on it earlier, but I like to ask everyone before we leave is what you'd be doing if you weren't in reward. And I think you mentioned football. Yeah, I think um, (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily be a sort of retired billionaire footballer uh, (laughs) as much as maybe when I was a kid, I thought I, I might be by this stage. But yeah, even in the past few years, I'm, I'm working for uh, uh, the RFU um, and working with some amazing community rugby coaches. I did think I'd always been more of a football fan, actually, but I did think that um, maybe uh, doing something in community football and uh, helping the next generation of superstars develop would be good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably be a, a football coach, um, not necessarily a, a high paid, highly stressed football manager, but uh, yeah, like a grassroots coach. and. Um, uh yeah out in muddy fields trying to help people uh develop their skills so yeah that sort of thing I think and you've got to tell me now who you support I support Liverpool okay, so good. the the last year or so it's been very very easy for me to tell people that yeah and, uh, uh I hang a Liverpool shirt on my door yeah. in my sort of video zoom background just to remind people <laughs> occasionally which is a good uh, a good conversation starter uh doesn't start too many fights yeah. which is uh, quite positive well, I went to university in Liverpool and I once got told that true Scousers support Everton and I knew that can't be the case. I mean, no. <laughs> Luckily, I support Liverpool too. I'm from Chester, so not too far away. And we're a whole family of Liverpool supporters. So I'm glad we're uh, on the same page there. <laughs> Definitely. I do, I do miss being able to wind up Everton fans and there's not too many of them in London. So, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good year to be a Red. It has indeed. Well, that's all we have time for, James. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely to hear a familiar accent and delve into a reward strategy from the media world. I hope you've enjoyed it too. I have. Thank you so much. It was really good fun. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, that's all for me for now anyway. I'll be back with another of my friends in benefits soon. Stay safe and we'll speak soon.